Under the Dome Radio, our full fan feedback discussion for Season 2, Episode 4, Revelation, recorded July 24th, 2014. Thanks again for joining us for Under the Dome Radio, broadcasting from Chester's Mill. This is the unofficial podcast by and for fans of CBS TV's Under the Dome, and this is episode 31, so be sure to check out the show notes that we have over at underthedomeradio.com slash 31, or if you just want to send in your feedback so you can be part of the next episode, go to underthedomeradio.com slash feedback. Under the Dome Radio is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network and is sponsored by our affiliate links at underthedomeradio.com, and I'm at Wayne Henderson, and I had one of the weirdest tasting egg and cheese burritos for breakfast this morning, and it's making me wonder if they've changed their egg supplier. Should I be worried? Well, I was worried because I enjoyed some bacon this morning for breakfast and started not feeling well about lunchtime today. So I actually went around the room saying, who am I? Who am I? And then I remembered, I'm Troy Heinrichs, and I'm really glad to be back with all of you this week. It all comes back to you eventually. Now, of course, uh, as we go through the episode, we have different segments. We've got the breaking news segment where we're going to be talking about the ratings and things that might be going on around Chester's Mill. Then we are on the air where we talk about what Troy and I found interesting about the most recent episode of Under the Dome. Then the good stuff. We head out on location where we talk to all of you domies and residents of Chester's Mill with your listener thoughts, your theories and your feedback. Then we have investigative reports for those that want to be in the know, because we're going to talk a little bit about what may or may not be in the book that's also in or not in the TV show. And we have requests and dedications where we thank you for helping get the word out about this situation that we have stuck here under the dome. Let's start out with our breaking news this week, Wayne. And why don't you go ahead and take the first story this week? All right. As you know, if you've been anywhere in social media or on the Internet, San Diego Comic-Con is underway, and the Under the Dome panel happened earlier today. And of course, unfortunately, Troy and I couldn't be there, but we are waiting to hear for news that's coming out of Comic-Con at the time of this recording. So if you're a domey or a dome head on the ground there in San Diego, we want to hear from you. Give us a call at area code 904-469-7469, or just email us at feedback at underthedomeradio.com because while you're in San Diego, you might be able to track down one of those Under the Dome petty cabs or petty bikes that some of you had seen at South by Southwest. They are now in San Diego. And I guess even Mike Vogel and Alexander Cook were driven into Comic-Con by the petty domes earlier today. And with the heat we're having here in Southern California, I bet it got a little uncomfortable unless they have air conditioning. I know the temperature is rising under the dome for sure. It was even on the teacher's calendar this week up on her fridge, but we'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh-huh. Well, I got some good news and bad news this week, Wayne. Uh, which one do you want first? I always like to go with the bad news first. Let's get it out of the way. Well, apparently meteors from outer space don't sit well with the peeps here in Chester's Mill because the show has hit an all-time low in the ratings because the viewership has fallen to 6.74 million and a 1.5 demo rating. That's the bad news. Hmm. But the good news is, is that we finally have some DVR numbers from the season premiere episode. The live plus seven day viewing is actually showing that people and DVRs love the dome. So the dome actually added about 4.6 million viewers to go up to 14 million, an increase of 49% and also gained a 1.3 ratings bump in 18 to 49 to go up 62%. In contrast, this is actually bigger gains than the DVR viewership last year. However, overall viewership is down about 3 million viewers. So even though less people are watching, it seems like more people are watching on DVR. So hopefully that translates into the rest of the episodes since the live plus same day numbers seem to be going in the toilet fast. I think that's a very large percentage of people watching on a DVR. I don't know if it's a case of less people want to stay up that late to watch the show or do they just have a lot of stuff going on? They like to skip commercials. So they're just going to watch it on the DVR when they're good and ready. 
And just for another kind of side note, with that live plus seven day lift on the season premiere opening, Under the Dome surpassed America's Got Talent as the top show of the week, both in viewers, adults 18 to 49, and adults 25 to 54. So Under the Dome number one for the week of July 1st. We interrupt this program to bring you a news bulletin. This just in at the panel for Under the Dome. Mike Vogel teased earlier today the possibility that some of the characters are going to be leaving the dome. He said, they've come up with a really exciting and interesting way of broadening the scope of our world. I think everyone's in for a real treat once that happens. Troy, is that considered spoilery? What is uh, he teasing there? Well, I think we all assumed that going outside of the dome was going to happen based on the South by Southwest information we received back in February. And of course, seeing Paul Lean being outside of the dome now in a couple of episodes this season. But I think more importantly, Rochelle Lefebvre on the panel said that the outside view of the dome is coming that we've all been waiting for when she stated that you will get your first glimpse of what the impact of the dome outside has been at the panel earlier today at San Diego Comic-Con. And then, of course, Executive producer Neil Baer had to throw in that the death toll will rise with the producers not afraid to kill off the main cast characters. Well, they love to tease that, but I'll believe it when I see it, when the main characters start dying off. But uh, either way, it sounds like the rest of this season two of Under the Dome, we are in for a wild ride. I mean, just based on what we've seen already this season, uh, buckle up, pay attention to the TV show and just enjoy the wild happenings in chester's mill let's switch to on the air and talk about our favorite things from this week and it's hard to believe that it's only been four episodes so far this season it seems like we should be like eight or nine with everything that's happening and man did they throw the kitchen sink at us this week yeah it was it really does seem like more than just four episodes i mean between the fact that we've got to miss pine there and she's looking at jim in the opening scene and kind of rubs his shoulder and says something along the lines of, as long as you're leading us, Jim. But her facial expression kind of looked like she's being a little sarcastic or rolling her eyes and that she's actually not trusting Jim. And maybe that was a clue that she is already starting to think of Mr. Rennie as her puppet. That's the way I kind of read that scene. She totally is playing Big Jim 100% like a fiddle. She wants him to do her bidding. It's not his bidding, it's her bidding, but he has to be the one to carry it out. And she's going to say whatever she needs to in order for him to actually take the fall for her misdoings. And the only problem with that is once uh, Big Jim figures out that you are playing him, it's not going to go well. They can fight it out in the jail cell together, apparently. Well, that could be coming up this week on Under the Dome. Well, it's been two weeks since the dome came down in Chester's Mill. And if you didn't notice in the previously on Under the Dome segment, they made a, a, a hint to look at Angie's fingernails mm-hmm. and that she got a piece of her assailant. And I'm surprised I didn't catch this right away. But Sam asks Julia right away before Sam even lets Julia in, says, you know, hey, did Phil identify the person from that stuff under Angie's fingernails? I mean, that should have been a dead giveaway there that <laughs> Sam was kind of inquiring if he was you know, needing to kill Julia on the spot or run away or do something. So he was a little apprehensive when he opened up that door initially. Like, hey, why are you here? At the same time, he should realize that uh, DJ Phil is still a newbie in the forensics department. So, you know, it's going to take him a little while to get up to speed with what the pros over at CSI have been doing. Well, then Big Jim says to Barbie as they're having this conversation. Now, remember, you know, four days ago, Big Jim had Barbie strung up. Right. Ready to kill him for putting on these heinous crimes that he never did. And now they're like best friends. Big Jim basically says to Barbie, hey, you know, you've done a really good job. You've saved us the past few days from the magnetism and the uh, butterflies and stuff. And uh, I just want to know that going forward, we're all in this together. Got to love that clip from season one. I do. That is Big Jim at his finest. And that's very similar to how he was always spouting off in the book. And Nori Again, another line that we didn't touch on in the initial reactions, but she had so many. I don't know if we should just call her Nor from now on, but uh, with her little comment there saying, let's not manhandle her, talking about the hatchling. Yeah, she kind of put that line off as in, hey, number one, don't be touching another girl when I'm sitting right here because we're in a relationship, dude. 
And at the same time, she's kind of like, dude, just don't be touching other girls. <laughs> and we have some more great literary references or tie-ins coming up later on in our uh, investigative reporting section. So stick around for that, because I think you're going to be really interested to find out what Stephen King novels are referenced later on in the episode. Rebecca is a science teacher, but has a funny way of counting. So if we stick with one day per square and one day per app this season, then it looks like we're just going to be after when the meat runs out uh, in the middle of the second row of the calendar in her fridge by the time this season ends. So I don't know if you were counting those squares, but it basically looks like we're going to be out of food before the year is over. And I think that'll play into a big part of the season finale, I'm hoping. And then, of course, if we continue on with the season three, the medical supplies and the water supply will have dried up by the time season three completes next year. I would think all of those things have to happen by the end of this season. I, I, I hope they don't drag out the supplies issue all, through this whole season and into season three if we're lucky enough to get it. But uh, like you said, she has a funny way of counting. So I don't know how much faith we put in Rebecca Pine's calendar. Yeah, she's like, one, two, skip a number, one, two, three, four, five, six, skip a number, one, two. So I don't know what the uh, what the sequencing there was, but it's there, it's marked, and if you count them off, then uh, we're in for some bumpy rides ahead. Now, did you notice, it kind of seemed like, uh, especially upon further viewings, that this lab that she's working at, that she stole the key card for, isn't actually in the school. I was going through the rewatch twice and i still didn't pick up on where she stole the key card if that was in a previous episode or if it was in that conversation she was having when they were sitting there talking about you know the headshots you know those were some really great headshots by the way on that uh census survey i thought that was kind of interesting <laughs> no i d- i did see her uh take big jim's uh card okay you did in this episode yes okay so i was pretty that. sly so sly that you missed it upon further viewing I know she's one sneaky little girl. That's for sure. But um, yeah, I I say the lab is in a different building as well. And the interesting thing is, is that lab more where big Jim would have been doing some of his drug making back in the day. And that's why it was such a secret to have it under a badge card access. Oh, exactly. And maybe that explains why big Jim even needed to have that card in with all of his, uh, his other belongings in his wallet and stuff. It's, it's, you wouldn't think that Big Jim, whether he's the mayor, the councilman, or whatever his official title is, that he would need to have the key card if, if the lab was in the high school. Well, just think, we finally get to see Julia's place of employment, the good old independent, as we scroll through some classic microfilm or microfiche in order to find old headlines, some of which read, Chester's Mill water test next week. A little bit of foreshadowing there back in 1988. Did you notice that the city hall is losing key members? No, I didn't catch that one. (laughs) Amazing that Big Jim is the only one left, right? Right. Uh, The Sweetbriar Rose is going to expand and become bigger, which they're going to need to do if that's the only place where people can get food in town. Interesting. Uh, The Chester's Mill is in for a population boom. (laughs) Uh, I think that one was a little misleading because it's going the other way. Right. Well, you know, in 1988, maybe a population boom was an extra 30 people joining the town. And then I had a chuckle when it said local landmark gets a facelift. And I don't know if that was a nod back to the uh, furniture truck running into the water tower. (laughs) I don't know, but I've I've done my fair share of using microfilm and microfish way back in the day. It's not pretty. And I can't believe how excited the whole gang was to be gathered around that glowing screen. Everybody except Nori. I miss texting. I miss my email. I miss Twitter. And then, of course, she says that she misses sushi, which just kind of helps reinforce that she's one of those California gals. Just don't eat the fish from the lake. No, not that sushi. Not Chester's Mill sushi. I was wondering if, you know, since we find out that Melanie and Barbie, and there might even be more people in Chester's Mill that are both from Zenith, you know, trying to do the math a little bit as far as 25 years or whatever. Are they from different time periods in Zenith? Like maybe Barbie is still a little bit older than her, or is she technically older than him? And she was long gone before Barbie came to prominence in the town of Zenith. Yeah, that's the thing I want to try to figure out with Barbie. Like, how old is he? I'm assuming he's like 30, 
35-ish in that ballpark, in which case, if you take 35 minus 25, that puts him at, what, 10 years old? So he would have been younger than Melanie at the time back in 1988. Or he'd be about, instead of 10, he'd be 15 if it was 20 years ago, depending on which date we're looking at. Right. So they may or may not, even though she said he looked familiar, we're still not sure why that is. Maybe he's just familiar because he was uh, semi-famous in Zenith as a kid. More microfish and newspaper articles to come, I suppose. Or missing yearbooks. Maybe we'll see Barbie in another page. <laughs> Can you imagine what he looked like in 1988? Well, the interesting line I thought this week had to come from Lyle when he was saying to James in the barbershop, you know, that Pauline had to get out before she was taken out. Was Big Jim going to kill Pauline himself? Because he was so like distraught with the fact that, you know, he talks to Rebecca and says, I should have sent her to this, you know, institution or whatever in the other in another town, but I didn't because I loved her. But was he getting tired of her at the same time and he was gonna take her out? Or was he talking about the dome or the space entities taking her out? I have no clue on that one. I do know that, you know, originally on our initial reactions, I thought I had heard Big Jim say that he actually did have her go into the institution, but we got uh, clarification uh, from one of our listeners. And then on the rewatch, he did not make that big decision. And I don't believe a lot of things that uh, Big Jim Rennie says. So I wouldn't be surprised if he was having some sort of troubles with Pauline at the time, because she's been sending all these postcards to Lyle, but not sending anything to Jim. Uh, That's not going to make Jim very happy when he finds that out either. I don't think James is going to let him find out and think Big Jim, if he does find out, would stumble upon them versus actually, you know, having James let him in on the secret. Because if you ended up watching the full video on the Hounds of Diana website, there's actually a little more to that video that you don't get to see in the show. And that's, of course, Pauline saying, don't tell your father anything. Yeah, so that's why I I don't trust uh, Big Jim. And. You know, speaking of some of the things that kind of had tie-ins to other Stephen King novels, the way that uh, crazy Rebecca Pine talked about leveling the playing field and and letting loose the uh, swine flu and all of that, that kind of reminded me of another Stephen King novel, The Stand, in a different way, because, of course, they're trapped under a dome, so things could go horribly wrong even quicker. But did you pick up that vibe as well? Oh, absolutely. I was almost hoping that Rebecca Pine had a different last name so that it would have started with an F and it would have been Randall Flagg. Mm, our buddy. Not but, our buddy, uh, but no. familiar character. But yeah, I totally picked up on the stand as being the super flu kind of situation. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like a, a Stephen King love story, I think, this season so far. <laughs> well, that's always a good thing. Now, I've been out in the woods so long, there are days that I don't even know myself. So for Sam, is that kind of what's happening with him as well? That when he says that line, is he having blackouts? Does he have multiple personalities after encountering that meteor back in the day? I got the feeling that Sam is just saying things like that to make people think he's a little more confused than he is. I'm of the uh, voting that Sam is fully aware of everything that's going on, and he's just trying to play it off a little bit as as if he's confused or has had blackouts. I don't think he has. I could be wrong. I've been wrong almost every week. (laughs) Well, and he hasn't been a drunk either or taken a drink the entire time we've seen him on the show. So was his drinking really an act back in the day? And he really wasn't the town drunk that everybody thought he was. Or he went on benders after the whole incident with, you know, the mini dome asteroid thing in the four hands and all of that. I mean, and then, of course, having uh, his girlfriend die, that, that could have sent him into alcoholism. But he seems so far cleaned up, <laughs> just psycho, but still a little cleaned up. I wonder how much longer they're going to have Lyle play the part of the religious nut job because it's getting kind of frustrating, not just on under the dome, but a lot of other TV shows where they portray the main religious folks as psychotic nut jobs. And it's getting kind of old to me. I mean, at least on the other show that we podcast about resurrection, 
they've got Pastor Tom on there, and he's portrayed as a fairly reasonable man, you know, even though he has some faults. But, uh, you know, between Reverend Coggins, you know, come on, Lyle's crazy, but uh, let's get a little balance in that field if we could, please. I agree. You know, there's there's a difference between being over the top and a fanatic or a radical, right? Right. And I, I don't know at this point where to place Lyle. I think he's more of the you know, kind of fanatic radical where Coggins was just over the top. <laughs> and, and Coggins was making illegal drugs. This is true. So, and taking now, them. And, well, there's that too. Now, as far as, you know, trying to do the math, like you did beautifully earlier in the episode, Troy, and trying to figure out everybody's age, you know, Melanie, of course, we know she has not aged at all in 25 years, but Joe, at least on the TV screen, appears to be aging a lot, almost a little bit every single day. Yeah, his hair gets a little bit shaggier every episode, too. I noticed that. He's a growing boy, I suppose. Well, I was able to freeze frame the postcards, and here's what I was able to determine from the wonderful artwork from Pauline, a.k.a. Jack Bender, most likely. And <laughs> the postcards were, there were two different postcards with a bloody hand on each of them. Uh, the egg with pink stars inside the egg, acid rain on a face, Coggins' bloody ear, the half-cut man by the dome, Joe's house torn into two pieces, pink stars, just stationary, not falling or anything, just pink stars, uh, Junior out at the dome wall, and what looked like a little red wagon, and then, of course, two postcards with the open door on it, the actual acid rain. And then there was one postcard that I'm assuming was the science teacher, but I wasn't quite sure who that last one was. It was like a, a just a person. Wow. She has been quite prolific. Spot on so far. It's oh, and then too- there was, and then there was the other postcard, which was the one that junior, I'm sorry, James looked at and he uh, was looking, it was black with like a, a yellow sunburst with a white center and it took me a while to figure out that that was actually when the dome turned from black to white. Now, it would have been helpful if Lyle hadn't have kept those cards such a secret. If those could have been discovered maybe two days after the dome came down, uh, it could have maybe fixed a few things before they happened. And it's too bad that we don't get to see any more postcards coming in because, of course, dome. So, Melanie. The death scene. Did Sam do it? Did Lyle do it? What do you guys think? And here's my crackpot theory. Are you ready? Yes. Take it's, it away, Troy. Again, it's a love story to Stephen King. So when I played it back, I noticed that the pusher had two hands. She was pushed into the hole. Now, I don't think they expected her to hit her head at the end and die from a head trauma, but the pusher did use two hands. And immediately in the next scene, you can see Lyle and Sam both have flashlights in their hands. So how could they push with two hands and be able to pick up the flashlight that quickly and be like, oh, my gosh, what just happened? So my thinking is, is that Pauline was the one that pushed her in because she was screaming about the whole, you know, it's too loud, it's too loud. And then Melanie's like, well, Pauline couldn't have done it because she was like freaking out. So, of course, it's the obvious misdirect about who pushed Melanie in. But the reason why I keep emphasizing the pusher mm-hmm. is because here we have a person who purposely kills people and somebody that returns from the dead in a, another world, if you will, kind of reminding me of the pusher from the second book of the Dark Tower. Which is an excellent book, by the way. I didn't catch that when you first mentioned it, but now that you talk about it a little more, I do see the little bit of a pusher shout out. I'm wondering if we shouldn't put too much uh, theorizing behind the pushing with the two hands. I just, it just seemed so much like it was Sam that had did it. But like you said, maybe a misdirection. I'm going to have to watch that again. Well, if a man's hands apparently touched Angie, which I think was a far stretch, then these hands to me, when I played it back, looked very feminine. When the hands were out, when the fingers were outstretched, it looked very feminine hands watch it again watch it again you'll you'll probably think twice you'll be like maybe who knows or it could be or it could be a mysterious entity in the woods that we didn't see 
All right. I'm going to have to watch it again before Monday night. That's for sure. Now, the thing that really got my attention was when they talked about how there weren't any bones, you know, if that's where Melanie died and then was conceivably buried there, wouldn't she have her bones still be there? Then again, maybe these aliens or whoever's behind this whole asteroid and dome and all of that, maybe they moved her body, dumped it in the lake, and for all we know, maybe even Sam and Lyle and Pauline did that, dumped her body in the lake, and then, of course, when when Shumway took the uh, egg and dropped it in there, maybe that's why she bubbled up in the lake. Excellent theories. I think we have a listener comment about that as well later on in the on location segment. There was another interesting thing with Rebecca Pine as she was talking to Big Jim. She was mentioning about how I believe it was her dad had died or her mom had died. I think it was her mom. And she was saying that when she was riding her bike around the base. So immediately I thought of, Mm. huh, Barbie was in the military. Maybe Barbie and the science teacher knew each other at Zenith and maybe the military bases in Zenith. And because of that, there's more connection here with Rebecca Pine and Barbie. How did I not even remember that scene happening? That would be wild if so many more people have connections with Dale, Barbie, Barbara. Making him kind of that central focal point of the show and you're not even knowing it because it's just so obvious. (laughs) Well, there's a lot to keep track of on Under the Dome this season. I mean, there's things happening left and right. Well, of course, the, uh, sorry, go ahead. I'm just hoping that we get to see our uh, friendly neighborhood hoarder, Andrea Grinnell, again pretty soon. So let's finish up this section with the last big tease that we got, which was, of course, the scratches on Sam's shoulder. Now, we're all saying that because they purposely said, hey, look at the stuff under Angie's fingernails. And then Sam said, hey, did they find any DNA on those fingernail things? That Sam obviously is the one that killed Angie. But you had another theory, Wayne. Well, I do agree that oftentimes the most obvious answer is the correct answer. However. Just in case they're going totally crazy on us, I remember that, you know, Sam's scratches looked fresh, you know, likely that they would be from Angie. However, this could be our weekly comparison to Lost. I'm remembering in the final season of Lost, the Flash Sideways season, Jack Shepard had an old appendix wound wound from when he was a kid, but it keeps coming back even as a grown adult and even starts to bleed a little bit, like something like 25 years later. And so I'm just keeping that in mind as something to keep an eye on just in case maybe those scratches are from way back in the day with the hatchling. And now they're just, now that she's back alive, maybe the scratches have opened back up again. I know that's crazy and out there, but you never know. So instead of the flash sideways and lost where it really happened in real life, and then it kind of like bled over into an alternate universe kind of thing. You're saying that, and I was thinking the theory was going to be more along the lines of they're all in an experiment in a lab on a military base and someone scratched him and it kind of bled through from his real state to his his, uh, dream state, like the matrix. Mm. But what you're saying is, is that it's actually an an old wound re-manifesting itself because Melanie's presence is back and her egg energy is what's actually making those scratches reappear. Could be, though I love your theory too. I like that. I still say he killed Angie. <laughs> <laughs> I know. See, I, I do too. <laughs> the simplest answer has to be the truth, right? And I'm Unless sure we'll find. But I'm sure we'll find out next week because they answer everything like the next week. Yeah, seems. they don't keep us waiting for very long this season so far. Well, what'd you think of the episode overall, Wayne? I really, really love this episode. I mean, there's a few things you know I have little grumblings about, but overall, strong episode. Nine out of 10 award-winning tomatoes, or are they tomatoes? Potato, potato, it doesn't matter. It's a nine. It's a nine. It's an awesome episode. How about you, Troy? They're all ruined anyway. The caterpillars totally jacked them up. Uh, (laughs) I said 18.21, 18.21 out of 20, which makes it just a little bit more than a nine if I keep doing my math right this evening. Uh, Picture postcards from L.A., and a whole bunch of other places. Right. 
Is that the a song lyric there? It is a song. It's actually a song. But no, I'm American Idol singing tonight. Not tonight. I, no. I think that's from what about fifteen years ago? Something like that. that song. Yeah. Eight eighteen point two one. I see where you're going there. That number should stand out pretty well to some people. It, <laughs> I would think so. Oh, Troy, let's head on location and see what's going on with the Domies, the Dome Heads, listeners in the community for Under the Dome Radio, because here's where things can get wild. Well, the Hounds of Diana website has been very active in the last week, so keep going and checking that out. We'll put a link to it in the show notes just in case you don't know how to spell it. But they've posted the uh, news clip that we saw at the end of the season two premiere about why the dome kind of went from you know opaque to clear and there's no magnetism activity anymore so you can rewatch that youtube video but the big thing that they put out there was this cbs news story back i believe it was from january and they were talking about how the monarch butterfly migration to mexico is actually dwindling over the last couple of years now of course as it relates to the show we know that's because they're all trapped and dead under the dome But the interesting I found out about this was that the announcement that the migratory patterns are kind of falling apart in Mexico was that it was right on the 20th anniversary of the North American Free Trade Agreement, which was when the United States, Mexico and Canada signed up for an environmental accords action to protect these migratory species such as the monarch butterfly. And then at the time, back 20 years ago, The butterfly was actually adopted as the symbol of the trilateral cooperation. Well, this stuck out to me because I was like, hey, look, that's my two sided theory. And maybe the Chester Millions are the third party. And of course, the butterfly is kind of this, you know, peaceful resemblance kind of thing. So is that what has to happen is all three parties have to be kind of okay with each other and stop fighting each other. Like the dome doesn't want the killing to continue kind of thing. And that's because all three parties need to be peaceful in order for the dome to come up. That is, that is crazy. And of course, you know, we would like there to be peace amongst all these people and what's left of the butterflies. But I have a feeling the killing isn't done under the dome. No, and we'll link to that actual CBS News article as well in the show notes at underthedomeradio.com slash 31. And how did the butterflies feel about Rebecca Pine and her, uh, uh, Firebug attitude, burning uh, down all the crops. Yeah, not so much. They, they, they stopped migrating because the milkweed is all gone. Uh. Well, Simon Hill wrote in and said that his theory was, was that Sam buried Melanie in the water. And then when the egg went into the water, it rejuvenated Melanie. That's why there were no bones at the dig site. Kind of like what you were saying. Oh, excellent, Simon. It's good to be on the same page with somebody. I, yeah, I think that's probably a flashback that we're going to get to see within the next two, three weeks. Well, there's two theories there. So either the body was moved and dumped in the lake or the bones aren't there because she's alive and standing right there. So why would there be any bones? Or it could be both of those things together. Ooh, that'd be cool. Your bone, your carcass is left behind, but your avatar is standing there alive and well. That sounds like resurrection again. I sometimes it's tough to keep the two shows apart because of the things that have been happening lately. (laughs) Let's check in with Mike on the listener voicemail line. Hey, Wayne and Troy, it's Mike Hamilton at Mike Scott eight on Twitter. Uh, just having to send you some feedback. I'm right in the middle of watching this week's episode and saw the scene where Melanie cross was believed killed. She was killed by Sam pushing her down where the meteorite hit the earth and she hit her head. Um, so I guess my kind of out of the wild blue guess about Sam killing her. And that's why he was so surprised when he saw her was partially right. It wasn't a drunk driving accident, but it seems I was partially right. I'll take what credit I can get. Uh, I will be attending podcast movement in my role from the Disney podcast directory dot net that I also run. Bye. Mike, thanks so much for calling in. I like that he called like during the show as he was watching it. I think that's totally awesome. But I love how people are automatically assuming that Sam pushed her. I mean, I, I did the rewatch just before the podcast here again this evening, just to double check one more time. And it isn't clear who is the pusher. 
at all. And even in the show, they were like, well, Lyle must've killed me because Lyle knocked out junior and, and junior saying that Lyle killed Angie. And he's like, well, maybe he killed me too. So I, I wouldn't be so quick to jump on the Sam bandwagon yet because I think the jury's still out. Well, I know that two weeks ago, they really made it seem like it was Lyle this week. They really made it seem like it was Sam. So who knows, Troy, your uh, theory about possibly being Pauline, maybe next week we'll go that direction. Maybe that's why they had to get her out of Chester's mill because then she was going to be taken out. That could be put in jail because of the death of Melanie. It could be anything. I'm just going along for the ride. Well, during the week, we asked a few people out there in the social sphere if you would rather help Barbie uncover the mysteries of Melanie or help Julia prevent a dome-wide epidemic. And Kelly Cross over on her Google Plus page says she wanted to help Barbie. Uh, Min Austig, uh, Matea over on Twitter, uh, said that she, they would also help Barbie. Hmm. And Nicholas Paulwood on our Facebook page said also wants to help out Barbie. So it's very clear that even this year, people still don't like Julia. <laughs> or they don't want to get too close to a killer swine flu virus. Oh, that's possible. They just don't like the science teacher. Sure. <laughs> well, there's that too. Between the science teacher and her killer swine flu. That's a combination I'm going to avoid. Hello, this is Neil from Bowie calling into Under the Dome Radio for Under the Dome Season 2, Episode 4, Revelations. Let's see, back in 1988, Pauline and Melanie have visions of pink stars falling. They go into the woods with their boyfriend Sam and Lyle. They see a meteorite in a crater. For some reason, all four of them press hands on the meteorite and it opens. There's an egg inside and it is glowing. Melanie wants to protect it and take it away with her. Either Sam or Lyle pushes her back into the crater, she bangs her head on the meteorite and dies. With one of the four hands dead, the egg stops glowing. Sam, Lyle, and Pauline hide her body. Pauline continues to get visions over the years. She and Lyle conspire to fake her death, and she leaves Chester's Mill, hoping that when the dome comes down, it will be around her, and her son will be protected from all the crazy events in the dome that she sees. Maybe that would have worked if she had taken the egg with her? Now, in 2013, Nori's in Chester's Mill. She forms another group of four hands with Angie, Joe, and James Jr. The dome comes down not long after Nori is in Chester's Mill. Possibly the four of them being there together activates the egg. From the scratches on Sam's shoulder, it looks like he killed Angie. So perhaps maybe somehow he knows about the new set of four hands, and he believes if he kills all of them or just the right one, the dome will go away. Uh, Pauline, while she was away from the dome, continued to have visions, and she was sending postcards to Lyle with paintings of events that will happen once the dome appears. They conveniently stop with the acid rain event, so it seems we don't have any postcard paintings beyond the events in the show so far. She has more information, though, in a journal that Lyle and Junior find in Sam's place. These include a mysterious open-door painting. Now... Does Lyle believe that this is a sign of a way out of the dome? We'll find out, possibly next time, Under the Dome. Neil from Bowie, thank you so much for sending that in via speak pipe. We appreciate that. And you make an excellent point that there's all these people that apparently are trying to do these things, thinking that if they do them, the dome is going to come down. I wonder if <laughs> they're all just grossly mistaken and they need to stop trying to I need to kill this set of hands, or maybe if I kill the right person or get them out of the picture, the dome's coming down. I don't think the dome's coming down for a while, but uh, to his point about the door painting in the uh, journal, I, I can really see where they're going to go looking for that. And Lyle is going to lead the charge to try to find some sort of portal or way out. Is it the key? There's a lot of rose coloring on that page. And there is an open door. Okay, maybe I'm just stretching now with the Dark Tower references. <laughs> <laughs> a key, a rose, an open door. Hey, that's a good combination. Just follow the beam. Well, our good friend Christian wrote in and he said, honestly, I don't have much feedback this time. Wink, wink. Uh, but I would <laughs> like to say that in the uh, season premiere, Sam opened a journal where a page showed four bloody hands. 
Then Angie was killed and we saw a bloody hand on the locker. In the preview for next week's episode, it appears Sam is standing in front of Junior ready to kill him, saying, if there was another way to bring the dome down, I'd do it. So maybe the four hands have to die in order for the dome to go away. I'd really hate that because I really like the teens. That's all I have. Looking forward to hearing the podcast. Thanks, Christian. And again, our PSA from our initial reactions episode, you can watch the previously under the dome segment, but don't watch the trailers because they'll mislead you. But I like the theory. Kill all four hands. Dome comes up. Problem solved. And of course, everybody's going to keep trying to uh, bring the dome down, bring the dome down, get out of the dome, escape from the dome. Much like Unlost, everybody wanted to leave the island, and shortly after leaving, we have to go back. <laughs> I don't know which way they're going to go on this series. I just wanted to plant that seed out there that maybe being under the dome is the better choice overall. That's a really good point, actually, especially if the rumors out of the Comic-Con panel are true and they find a way out of the dome. Maybe that's exactly what'll happen. They'll get the Zenith and they'll be like, oh, crap, we got to go back and warn everybody. <laughs> Well, uh, Dawn from our Beamly chat room over on the Beamly app, you can get that for iOS and Android or on the web, and we'll have a link to the Beamly room at underthedome.com slash Beamly. But uh, she goes by at the new classy on Twitter, and she wanted to point out that there was actually a, a song by Mary Chapin Carpenter that in the song it said, I feel lucky um, when Dwight Yoakam and Lyle Lovett were flirting with her. Do you remember that lyric in? You know, I feel lucky when she talks about Dwight and Lyle. Oh, I absolutely do. I think I played that song by Mary Chapin Carpenter at three different country stations when I was on in the radio or on the radio. Well, she said, isn't it weird that Dwight's name in the show is now Lyle? Go figure. That is interesting. Maybe Mary Chapin Carpenter is somehow involved with this show and we should read into more of her lyrics. But that is a good catch. Thank you, Don. Hey, Wayne and Troy, Jeff Gentry, X-Force 11. Here's my theory. Um, when she died and the egg went black, what it did is it delayed the dome happening. I think the dome originally was supposed to happen, and that death of that fourth hand kind of put it into suspended animation. And so... They kind of had to cover things up and had to cover her being killed uh, up, and and it just caused implications. But I think, uh, you know, it looks like Sam is trying to kill Junior and uh, to kind of get the dome to come down. So I think he equates, you know, the dome coming down and, and that going with death. So um, it's interesting. It will be interesting to see if it, you know, if her death caused the delay in the dome coming or or what the situation is. So I'm just looking forward to it because it seems like uh, when that egg got dropped in the water, um, it brought her back. So it, it's going to be interesting to see lots of theories and stuff going on in my mind. Thanks, guys. Bye. Jeff Gentry, thanks so much for calling in 904-469-7469. Get your theories in by Thursdays so that you could be on the Under the Dome radio podcast yourself. And I like the concept of the dome being delayed when the egg went black, but then that would assume that when the dome, when the egg, it would assume that when the egg reactivated, that the dome would then come up, right? One would think. Or is Jeff saying that when the egg reactivated is when the dome came down? And does that mean someone has to die holding the egg in order for the dome to go up? Hmm. I hope that is not the case. I, I do want to eventually, hopefully this season would be nice. I want to see some sort of flashback that actually shows what triggered the dome actually appearing. Something maybe that happened with Pauline and Zenith. Because so far, the characters we've seen on the show just happen to be going along their business when the dome all of a sudden came down. Something must have triggered it, but what? Well, and if it fell from the sky, the thing that I go back to is the earthquake, the shaking and the tremor that happened just before the dome fell. So is there something under Chester's mill that caused the tremor 
and made that earthquake happen before the dome fell down. Hmm. Good point. We're going to have to go watch some more episodes, I think, Troy. Well, then during the week, we posed the question out on the social sphere. Would you rather learn about farming under the dome? Would you learn, rather learn about science under the dome? Or would you rather learn about art under the dome? And <laughs> That's a lot of learning. Yeah. Well, you know, everybody between the ages of 14 and 18 need to be in school, right? True. And our good friend Mark up in Canada actually responded with the following. He'd want to do all three as long as they could A, burn down the farm, B, make crazy science, and C, paint naked art. <laughs> okay, Mark. <laughs> you, you, you know, there's always the option of all of the above and why not revise the answers? Well, for those of you that don't know, Mark actually does a really awesome Orphan Black podcast, and these are all Orphan Black references. So I think Mark will get the honorary Under the Dome DJ of the week this week for finding a way to tie Orphan Black into Under the Dome, especially since Orphan Black deals specifically with science and tying it into the whole science concept of the show. So congratulations, Mark, for being the Under the Dome Radio DJ of the week. And you can check out his Orphan Black podcast at solotalkmedia.com. Excellent. And since I'm not yet watching Orphan Black, no wonder it went way over my head. I laughed when I saw it. I was like, oh, it's awesome. <laughs> I love Orphan Black. It's a great show. How can uh, somebody become the honorary Under the Dome Radio uh, DJ next week, Troy? You bet. Just uh, make sure you get your feedback in. You can send it in via Twitter at UTD Radio Podcast. You can go ahead and head over to underthedomeradio.com slash feedback and fill out the contact form or upload an MP3 file or just record right there from the record button on the website. Or you can go ahead and send in an email to feedback at underthedomeradio.com via email. Perfect. I look forward to seeing all the crazy theories that come in next week. So let's go into the investigative reporting section. This is our book tie-in spoiler type section, or maybe just other crazy things that we forgot to talk about in the last half hour or so. So if you want to tune us out, go ahead. Otherwise, here comes the cool stuff. I'm ready. Bring it on us, Troy. So the calendar in Rebecca Pine's refrigerator, on Rebecca Pine's refrigerator, the word temps, question mark, was written on the side. And I immediately thought of how the dome air and the atmosphere inside the dome not only gets volatile hot temperatures rising, but also actual temperatures rising as it gets warmer and warmer and warmer under the dome in the book. And I'm hoping that with her writing that up on the refrigerator, that we'll see that come to fruition as the season progresses. I like the sound of that because that's one of the things that seemed most realistic in the book, as far as realistic, when there's a giant dome that could be from outer space that encapsulates your whole town. The fact that eventually the air is going to go South in a hurry. And uh, I like that. I'm going to keep my eyes peeled on that. Troy. Yeah. Cause in the book it's October, a nice fall day and it's maybe 50 degrees outside the dome but it seems to be 70 or 80 inside the dome. And again, think of it like your sunlight shining through a magnifying glass, which is basically what's happening. So that air temperature should be getting warmer a little bit every day. So we already talked about the dark tower shout outs. The other Stephen King reference this evening was when they were digging up the artifact in the woods I couldn't help but think about Bobby and Jim from Tommyknockers digging really? up the artifact. Did you catch that at all or think about that? I, d- I did not think about that. I was thinking about the fact that uh, why isn't anybody helping uh, Barbie dig? Yeah. What's the deal here? You know, five people, one shovel. Come on. Oh, but man it was, in advance. But, but I like that shout out that you caught. But it was, uh, you know, very easy sand to dig up. Not even like hard dirt. It's like, could you make that look at least look look like dirt when you're digging it up? That was pretty bad production value there. Uh, That was my first thought. But my second thought was, you know, there's been an asteroid here from who knows where. And that's probably affected the soil for a little bit. And even 25 years later, it's not going to turn into regular dirt again. Oh, so we're going to explain it that way. Like, oh, when they dug up the (laughs) mini dome. Joe and Nori came back and filled in the hole with sand to hide the fact that there was no dome there in the first place. Exactly. Okay. I'll, I'll let you have that one. (laughs) 
yeah, but Tommy Knockers, I thought that was a, a, a little bit of another Stephen King shout out there. Great book. Well, I think that'll do it for this week. Uh, we just want to say thanks to all of you for subscribing to the show over the past two seasons. But of course, the fun's not quite over yet. Still more to come mm-hmm. in season two. And we need your help, your mission this week. Every Domey Domehead listening to the podcast, you need to head over to underthedomeradio.com slash iTunes. Once you're there, leave a five pink star review and a rating. So that way we can go ahead and help get the word out to more people to submit great theories and thoughts to make this show on Fridays even more awesome. Please, please, please. That would be fantastic if you could do that. And even if you listen to Under the Dome Radio on the website or on Stitcher Radio or any of the other places you can find us now, if you could leave the review in iTunes, it would be very, very helpful. And if you are listening to the podcast on maybe the iOS podcast app on your iOS device, iPhone, iPad, any of those things, you can toggle over right there and leave the review that way. You know, just go ahead, maybe hit pause. We'll be here when you're done. So we want to thank you in advance for leaving that review. You rock. And of course, Under the Dome radio podcast wouldn't be great without an awesome t-shirt, coffee mug, or any of other great merchandise. So be sure to head over to underthedomeradio.com slash goods so that you can go ahead and pick yours up today and show your support for the podcast. And of course, this show is made possible by you, and we need those secret propane deliveries to keep the radio station running over here at underthedomeradio.com. So go to the site, and on the right-hand sidebar, you can see these beautiful propane tanks that have never been touched by Jim Rennie. Just pick the size of a propane shipment that you'd be willing to send us as a donation, and it'll just come on in. We have no idea when the dome will be lifted, so the propane will really help out the show. And it's all just a fun way to help support the efforts here at the podcast. And we'll keep things rolling. Of course, we love connecting with all of you via Twitter, Facebook, Google. Lots of great interaction this week. So be sure to head over to underthedomeradio.com. All the social links and the ways to listen to the podcast are there at the top of the site. The most important thing, though, is subscribe. So that way you get the next episode immediately as soon as it is out because we love chatting with all of you and, of course, figuring out what is happening here under the dome in the Chester's Mill community. And we want to thank you so much for taking the time to listening to us here at Under the Dome Radio. Please share your thoughts and theories for the next episode of the podcast. Again, underthedomeradio.com slash feedback for all the details. And until next time, I am Wayne Henderson. And I'm Troy Heinrichs. Show notes are, again, underthedomeradio.com slash 31. And I'm anxiously awaiting your postcards as we stay trapped under the dome. Under the dome radio. Under the Dome Radio is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network. Get more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. Get organized in your personal and professional life, laugh with our clean comedy, theorize over great television shows, and so much more, all waiting for you at noodle.mx.